November 12th, 1979. It was the Monday after Veterans Day that year. Mike Olson and his brother Jeff tossed their bags into his pretty new maroon-colored 1979 Pontiac Grand Prix, and then they hit the road, leaving chilly Minnesota for the beaches of Florida. It would be a 1,700-mile trip that would afford Mike the opportunity to work the winner on a golf course. Mike was a bag boy at the Edina Country Club in his hometown, which is surrounded by nice homes, tree-shaded streets, and good schools. A suburb of Minneapolis, Edina is one of the most affluent suburbs in the state, but it's also surrounded by upper-middle-class families just doing the things that we all do. So while the President Country Club in West Palm Beach would have been a welcome change of scenery, certainly warmer, Mike, who was a good kid of 20 years old and a hard worker, was not exactly unfamiliar with rubbing elbows with the town's golfing elite. And my God, 20 years old. You will have to excuse me, listener, if I refer to him as a kid throughout this podcast. To all the guys that I will speak about and to this group of young men who are all just on the cusp of starting their adult lives, living the dreams that they had conjured when they closed their eyes at night and fell asleep with all of the eagerness and hope that limitless possibility affords. We've all been that young once. We all remember that feeling of trying to figure out who we want to be and what we need to do to get there. It doesn't matter your race or religion or your socioeconomic situation. The thing that everyone wants at 20 is to be happy and healthy and have the opportunity to go out and do the things that will make you happy and healthy. We just don't realize at 20 how tricky doing those things can often be. At 20, most of us probably weren't thinking about how to pay for health care or how we'll get by when we retire. Being 20 is like being that fearless toddler, unaware of the very real dangers around you. What we only learn with time and experience is that sometimes something as simple as a wrong turn can lead to death. We learn that there are those out there, completely unknown to us, who could do us harm if a convenient motive and situation presented itself. But usually it takes us longer to learn that sometimes the danger is closer than we think. We've just missed some of the signs. The nuances in understanding all of the things I just described only become clear to us once the world pushes us around a little bit, teaching us lessons along the way. But to me, 20 is still a kid, because looking back, I know that I was still a kid at 20. So I want you to imagine this kid like I do in his new car, heading out on the adventure of a lifetime. He's not long out of high school, and he is ready to begin his forever. So it's shocking, then, that in just two weeks, Mike would disappear, seemingly in the span of five minutes and within the distance of about a mile. 
But is everything that we know about this case really as it seems? That's what I hope to learn this season. Rick Jensen was the head pro at the President Country Club in 1979 in West Palm Beach, Florida. He said this, Jack Adams was a personal friend of the golf director at the time, Jack Sanford. Adams was also a member at the Edina Country Club in Minnesota, where Mike was from. Adams' nickname was Iron Ass, and he was quite a character, a great guy. He was the one who had recommended Mike for the job at the president. Scott was Jensen's starter and second assistant pro. He had more contact with the bagroom staff than anyone, according to Rick. I spoke with Scott. I recall that Mike and a few other guys that worked at the club were out. I want to say they went to the dog track. Mm -hmm. And um, I recall Mike giving some money from his parents for like a down payment or a deposit for an apartment, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And that um, he might have been flashing that around that night. Do you remember who the other guys were that went to the track with him? I know. I, I believe was, there was a, a Jimmy. I want to say Jimmy. Okay. And are there any other names that you remember that were there? Uh, I I don't not no. Now afterward, did the do you recall the police coming to speak to some of the yes. guys, and they came to yes. the club and spoke with them? Yes, him? it was it was a complete mystery to everyone involved. I guess uh, you know most people at the club. It was uh, you know just a mystery as to what actually happened. In May of 1979, there was an article in the Palm Beach Post, and it's titled, President South Course for the Thinking Golfer. When the South Course at the President Country Club was originally designed by Bill Mitchell as the site for the 1971 Florida Open, about the only club a golfer had to master to shoot lights out was the driver. Some of the pines were shorter than a golf bag back then, and if you couldn't cut the dog legs off the par fives, it was time to start thinking about getting fitted for a skirt. Those guys would get up on the tee and just bomb it, Rick told the Palm Beach Post in 1979. There's no way you can get away with that anymore. No way indeed. The trees have grown up, the course has matured, the out-of-bound stakes have crept into play, and the guy who tries to play the course by swinging away at it like he's at the driving range is in for a big surprise. Mike's first day at the President Country Club was November 21, 1979, nine days before he would go missing. This is an important detail to the context of the story because in order to later decide what we think could have happened to Mike, we need to understand that first, he was very new to the area, and he had only just started his job and was meeting other people at work, many of whom were also in town from up north, young guys who had come south to work at the club just like he had. There hadn't really been enough time for Mike to really get to know these new guys that he had just met, because they had all only had about a week together on the job. Mike also had a little bit of interaction that week with a couple employees at the local rental agency, where he had been going to try to find a permanent place to live. He was jumping around from motel to motel in that two-week period, looking for the best price on any given day. 
The first week, he and his brother stayed at a place called the Holiday Motel on Okeechobee, near the Florida Turnpike, and then they moved to the Village Green Apartments for about six days. On the Monday of his last week, Mike would land at the Howard Johnson's Motel at 1901 Okeechobee Boulevard. One of the things that was helpful was that Mike's father started taking copious notes almost immediately when his son went missing and his family provided me with these notes, which include a calendar of the months of November and December, where he penciled in details of each day as he learned them. So Mike's brother Jeff left to fly home on Wednesday the 21st, which was the day before Thanksgiving that year, and that Wednesday was also Mike's first day working at the President Country Club. Before we get into Glen Burns and weather, I want you all to note that Buck Kennard, in honor of Thanksgiving, has his mashed potato splash with cranberry sauce jacket on Yes, today. absolutely. That's a beauty. That's a real dandy. Uh-huh. It looks like tomorrow's going to be a good day for jogging here at the Palm Beach. There's <laughs> lots of sunshine for us. And in case you haven't noticed, you can shut your air conditioners off tonight. It's getting a little bit chilly outside. I'll tell you how cold it is right after this. On the scoreboard tonight in the NBA, limited action on this Thanksgiving day. Randy Nichols has the third round lead in the 47th annual Tournament of Club Champions at Breakers West. Nichols in at 72 today at 210 for the 54 holes. A 212 Johnny Hayes on a 74 today. Doug Fischesser in at 213. Kevin Butler, West Palm Beach, is the defending champion. He is in at 213. That's four. I happen to like your jackets. It goes no matter what he says. Well, what would he know? He's from yeah, Minnesota. That's He's snow blindness <laughs> in Minnesota. You can't. <laughs> We don't know anything really about what went on in that first few days of his work at the club. According to his brother, on Tuesday of the next week, which was the 27th, Mike got a speeding ticket in Fort Lauderdale. Although there are no further details as to whether he made that 45-minute drive alone or with someone else, nor is there any idea what he did in Fort Lauderdale. The next day, Mike spent one night at the Days Inn, and then went back to the Howard Johnson's on Okeechobee, and at that point he was in room 130. On Friday the 30th, Mike was off work, but we know that he played golf that day at the President. One of the people mentioned in Mike's father's notes was Brad, and I spoke with him about what he remembered from that day. Scotty was the starter, so all of of the kids up in the bag room, the way the operation ran is if... uh, Scotty would make up the tea times for all these, you know, he was responsible for taking the phone calls because they did everything by phone. Um, so at four o'clock in the afternoons, um, Scotty would lock himself in the starters booth down in the circle and he would start to take, uh, the phone would light up and he would just take tea times for like a half an hour straight, 45 minutes. And then that would all have to be transposed onto a starting sheet. Um, so Scotty was responsible for a lot of, of, the way that, you know, the way it operated and so far as getting people out on the golf course. Um, and he, uh, he was one of the assistant golf professionals under Rick Jensen. There was him and there was another kid by the name of Bob Sherpe, H-J-E-R-P-E. Um, and, and Rick Jensen was the golf professional and Jack Sanford was the golf director. I remember quite a bit about, about Mike. I remember about you know he was just uh i remember the first time i met him and he was just as green i mean as green as can be 
you know, when he came down there to work at the club. You know, he's not a very big kid. He's kind of, you know, just, uh, you know, not not very big at all. And just just like a, you know, what if you said, hey, my, you know, let's go. We're going to go here. Okay. Like he's just an easy going, just a, he's, mm. a, you know, just what you'd want for a son. You know, yeah. just an awesome, like an awesome kid. You know? Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, you get people that come down to work down in Florida, especially in the wintertime, you know, and they're from all over the place. Um, you know, big cities, but, but I remember Mike just being someone who was just a wholesome, I guess is probably the best way I can describe him. Was he a good golfer? Um, I don't know if I had time, if Mike and I played together, um, I would say, you know, I think we were all pretty much average, um, not anything, you know, not at a professional level, but, um, but I don't believe, and I can't remember Jenny, if I played with him because he, he wasn't there that long, you know, and everybody's still, you know, nestling into the job, trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what's going on, you know, what are we doing and how busy it gets and, uh, learning the ropes, sort of say, you know. So did you guys have, am I under, to understand that you also worked at the golf club and you had the same position? That is correct. Yeah. We both, uh, all, a lot of the guys were, uh, worked up in the bag room. So could you, for someone who knows absolutely zero about golf, which is me, um, could you explain what the job entailed for you guys? Um, so at that particular place, at the, it was called The Presidents. Um, it was, uh, they had, I think, roughly about 1,500 members. Uh, they had two golf courses. Um, so they had a building that housed all the golf carts and all the bags of the members. So um, when it got busy in the wintertime, uh, the, they would have to employ quite a bit of people to uh, get the bags, put them on the golf carts, and get the golf carts down to a staging area for the members to come out and uh, be able to take their clubs and meet their starting time at the respective golf tees. So it was, uh, it was quite an operation, you know, quite an operation. Hmm. Uh, they could have uh, starting times... Uh, in the mornings and they had two golf courses and they would start people on the front and back side of the south golf course and on the front side of the north course and uh you could have as many as 90 golf carts down there with bags on them you oh, know wow. it's just a lot of with two bags per car hmm. you know um, it was a lot it was a lot so basically all the guys that came down would work the bag room in that respect and and also vice versa when the members came in uh, the clubs would have to be cleaned up, and they'd hook them up to one another, and then they used a tractor to haul them back to the uh, barn that housed the carts and the bags. Hmm. So do, it sounds like there would be kids like you guys from all over the country that came to work there then, not just people yeah. that were locals. Okay. There was only one local. Oh, wow. Um, it was everybody came from, uh, when I say one local, one local up in the bag room. Um, and in the pro shop, you had uh, full-time people that lived there, obviously. They lived there year-round. Were you one of the guys that went out that night with them on the 30th? You know, it's funny, Jenny. So as I was telling Paige, um, in the paper, you know, you'd be looking for places to rent. And at the time when I went down, my grandmother had a place. Uh, it was on a trailer park on 45th Street, uh, adjacent to 95 less than five minutes from the club very convenient but of course i didn't want to stay with her so you know everybody that piles down to florida you're trying to figure out who's going to stay with who for the season mm -hmm. and mike and i um i had found a place 
I think, on the in the Palm Beach Post. Either I found it or Mike did. I can't remember. I don't remember. But what I do remember is the night after when we got out of work that night, we had gone around the corner uh, to a little store and everybody's trying to, you know, figure out who's going out with who and, you know, what's going to happen for the night. And I said, Mike, we got to go look at this apartment. And Mike said, geez, Brad, he says, you know, these guys, they're going to go down to the, he, he, he wanted to go to the trap. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, he just, he wanted to go with the guys. Almost like, you know, he was, uh, he had broke loose from, from Minnesota and he was out, you know, he was going to have some fun. Everything, yeah. You know, and he wanted to get experience everything. So, um, so that night he says, look, Brad, you know, why don't you go take a look at it? And, and if you like it, I'll, I'm in with you. I'll bunk with you. I said, fine. So I was not with them. In answer to your question, I didn't go out with those guys that night. You know, and I just, I wish I had. Yeah. So you went to check out the apartment that night? So what we did, so it's funny, we left there and the apartment was somewhere off of Okeechobee. And Mike, Jimmy, and myself went back to his, his, his room at Hojo's. So we went back there that night. We went there, Mike, um, you know, quickly washed up, you know, kind of spruced himself up a little. And him and Jim were leaving to go uh, to the track. And I was going to leave from there. And I went to go find this place off Okeechobee. And so I wound up driving and I couldn't I couldn't find the place. Like either the address was wrong. Then I tried calling the phone number from a pay phone and couldn't get the guy. And I'm like, I got fed up and I said, you know what, I'm not doing it. So I wound up going back to... I went back home. So the next day, um, when I got to work, <clears throat> I think Mike was on a late shift to come in. I can't remember what the time frame was, but I know that um, the golf director, this guy, Jack Sanford, um, who was Rick Jensen's boss. So Rick Jensen was the golf professional. Jack Sanford was the golf director. So, you know, Jack kind of ran a real tight ship. And... I didn't want to see Mike fall to the wrath of Jack mm-hmm. if he didn't have to. So he was late. So I called up the hotel, uh, the you know, Hojo's. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, look, ring whatever room he was in. Lady rings it. She said, he's not answering the phone. I said, look, do me a favor. I said, send somebody up to his room and, and roust him because he's got to get to work. So I called back maybe 20 minutes, a half hour later. And she said, look, nobody slept in this room. You know, someone's used the, the bath, you know, the towels. There were some towels, but no one slept here. And I was like, at that point, I, Jimmy was at work. And I remember calling up to the bag room. I remember talking to Jimmy and I said, hey, I said, where's, um, you know, what happened? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, he's not in his room. And he said, Jesus. I, you know, and I asked him, did you get, did he meet some, you know, to, you know, did you meet a girl? Or he said, no. And, and that part, like what, I think he said that he dropped him off at the church or he got dropped off at the church. And I said, but where were you guys? He says, we went to the track. He said, you know, and, and Mike had, uh, if I remember correctly, he said, Mike was wheeling trifectas and, and I'm not a track guy. Like I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the terminology, but he said, Brad, I think he hit a trifecta. So I guess he was, you know, he, his pockets were full of money. So, um, 
And that was it. I said, so where'd you go afterwards? He says, well, we went down and I thought he had said bogeys. So bogeys was another, uh, it was a bar. Um, and, and I think it was in that general area of somewhere down by the track. I, I didn't go there a lot. You know, it was kind of out of the way, you mm-hmm. know, from the club. So, but, but I thought, I thought Jimmy had said they went to bogeys. And he said, and then, you know, when we left there, he, it was either Mike dropped him off the church or Jimmy dropped him off at the church. I can't remember. Did, was it your impression that, that Mike had ever been to the track before? Like you said, he was I green. I had no way of knowing that. But yeah. he was, you know, I mean, if he, if he, if he knew how to wheel trifectas, I mean, I would think you'd have to know something as opposed to just going up the window and saying, you know, put $2 or $5 or $10 on number four. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you'd have to have a little knowledge about, right. about, uh, about the track. So if... No, unless, unless he's doing what the other guys were doing. You know, right. Would it maybe just have been um, Jim's words of the wheeling trifectas and not necessarily Mike's? Like, he, I don't even know what wheeling trifectas means. Like... Um, yeah, he, it was, well, Jim is the one who told me that. Right. You know? Um, so maybe so, he was just meaning he, I mean, I guess I take that as that he, he won a lot of money. Although in the newspaper, the I would yeah. understand it. Do you know, so there was a group of guys that was at the, um, uh, as far as you know, at the track, did that, and then that same group went to, um, were at the other bars that you... Uh, geez, I, that I don't know. I don't okay. know who went. I don't know who wound up going out after the track. Okay, so he doesn't show up at work. Um, right. You and by the way, you did a one thing. You did very well, and it, it was just in your heart telling you, "I don't want my this guy to get in trouble." So you could be a he just he was just he was, you know, he he was tough. He was just um, he could be very tough, and and I didn't want someone like that jumping down. You know, here's this kid's first you know, his first season down there. And I didn't want, uh, just, you know, he didn't need that. Yeah. And, but what it also does for his case is it helps us narrow down the timeline considerably because you immediately, you, you called so quickly that the, and then sent you, you basically ordered someone to go up there and rouse him, which yeah. they may not yeah. have done if you had not done that. And they learned very quickly that he did not sleep in that room. So basically right. we know the time frame he went missing was a very short frame time frame. Um, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so yes. you should be very, uh, I'm proud that you did that as a young yes. kid. You know what I mean? That was very quick thinking or good thinking. You weren't thinking of anything other than, oh, I don't want this guy to get in trouble. But that really right. did help. It helped uh, narrow down the timeline. So when did, did, were you one of the people that went then afterwards to the hotel room after um, and, and looked at it, saw it afterwards? Um, what happened was Jim and I had gone, you know, after we got out of work that night. You know, we, we just couldn't believe it. You, you know, we just couldn't believe that something like that could happen. So we went to Hojo's, um, and, you know, you're looking around. You just you don't even know what you're looking for. You, 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 you know, you're hoping, you're hoping that he came back. You're hoping that something. You're just looking for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, um, it, it's, there was a key in the parking lot you know, a key, but I, it didn't mean anything to us. You know, it wasn't his key. It wasn't his room, you know, but there was a Hojo's key in the parking lot. Now, back then it was an actual key, right? It wasn't a card like today. No, it was a key with a, like an oblong, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, like an oval, probably about three, four inches, 
you know, uh, yeah. and it said how you know it say Howard, whatever it says Howard Johnson, but it has a room number on it, you know, on the tag, not the key. And it wasn't it wasn't his room number. It was not. No, it was not. You know, but now I think about it later, I'm like Jesus, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe we should have maybe maybe that you know I don't know uh, you know I don't know. Well, how did you it's learn that there was a? It had been there all day. Yeah. So. so you saw the key, is what you're saying? You guys saw it laying there. Yep. Okay. Pick now. Oh, you picked it up, and did, what, yep. did you, what did you do? Take it to the um, cl- to the desk. I think we dropped it off at the front desk. I think, but I don't remember. You know, I don't remember. And did they uh, let you into the room? They actually let you into no, the room? They did not. No, no, no. Oh, okay. We were in that room prior to so that was where when we got out of work, we went around the corner to the little store. You're picking up cigarettes, you know, mm-hmm. grab a beer, and it was from that store when everybody decided what they were going to do for the night. That's when Jim. Um, myself and Mike went back to Hojo's and, and Mike washed up, you know, washed up and probably put on a clean, you know, put on some normal clothes, you know, right. um, because you dressed, you had to dress and, uh, it was like we had these uniforms we had to wear. Mm-hmm. So, so he would sure have he changed out of that. He put on some fresh clothes and it was at that point we were back in the room, but not after that. Okay. So, um, you, the fact that the clerk that went up there said she saw towel, you know, maybe it wasn't slept in, but there were towels in the bathroom. That That's probably how I knew she was in the room. Right. She had to be. Right. I was in. I was there when that happened, so I knew he had used the. Right. You know the, the you know uh, bath towels. So it definitely sounds like he never made it back to his hotel room that night. I would say that's. I would say that's correct. That's from all indications um, yeah. in the report as but, well. Yeah. Um, and which is the that's the strange whole strange thing about this is because it was literally like a mile from the, that church parking lot. He would have had to go down Congress, yeah. make a right, and be yeah. right there. You know, Mike could have wound up going up to Okeechobee. He could have instead of going right, he could have gone left. But you wind up going left, you could be left of the turnpike. You know, you you could wind up and like you know it's developed now, but mm-hmm. it wasn't then. You know, you could wind up going you know. Who knows? You know what right. I mean. But, but the th- but let's say you do, you get lost. The theory would have to be if you've if you've got a missing person and a car, and it's yeah. and the fact is that it this is misadventure and he drove. It would be he drove into a body of water. How else Correct. is he gonna Correct. right? So they have done some searches in the yeah. area. They haven't done all of them, but they did a bunch yeah. of dragging back then. But th- that is something that we want to pinpoint some areas. Um, because there were some more recent searches, and then there's some. There was even like a little bridge and a retention pond right there by the church. I mean, and I said right. to pay. I said to Paige, I've not been there, but did you get eyes on it? Could his car sink to the bottom of that? And he said, I don't know. It might be deep enough. So there are places right. we want to check for sure, yep. Um, yep. and see if that's the case. Because there are only limited possibilities of what happened, and that's one of them. The other one, he could be carjacked. You know, that's the uh, the. In a short amount of time, though, like you said, it's a short amount of that's, time. That's what's weird to me. You know, at that time of the morning, you know, usually, you know, someone's not going to, in my opinion, you know, I, I can't see somebody, you know, you know, jacking them at, at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, you know. Uh, yeah, it seemed to, it would be an awfully big coincidence if in that yeah. short span of time he's getting right. carjacked. It would be, but, yeah. you know, weird things do happen. I mean, there's a reason why this case isn't solved. It's because right. something weird happened, something that didn't yeah. fit work happened that night, you know. So that's why we're trying to, um, you know, sort of see if we can go through it. Do you remember afterward 
uh, in the days right afterward. Any yes. of the kids that were with them, talk, talking to any of the kids, or the, I say kids because 20 is kid to me still, but, you know, uh, any of the guys talking about anything that night that had occurred that no. seemed out of the ordinary? No. 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 And what no. about talking about it? Like people, were, were was it the talk of the, at the work, at the job, like between you was a you very, guys? It was actually very somber, you know. It was, uh, <clears throat> it's just hard to believe, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I don't know the right words. I don't know uh, how to put it other than that. It was just very somber that, um, you know, that here's this young kid that just comes down and, and now he's gone, you know. Another name from Mike's father's notes was Dave. And I spoke with him as well. But and we we used to bring that case up all the time. Him, him, and I. Yeah, and Scott and I, you know, would would just you know reminisce of just how weird it was that he just this poor kid just disappeared, mm-hmm. and, and nobody knew, nobody really knew you know exactly what happened. When you were batting it around back and forth with each other, what theories were you coming up with? Um, the the, the theory that we most tended to agree on was that he was robbed and killed uh we don't know by who uh but we don't we don't know we we thought that's probably what happened you know on his face the very first thing you think of when the person in the vehicle is missing is that he's in a body of water somewhere um you know he made a wrong turn so let me ask you this because one of the reasons why i wanted to speak with you is that you guys were local so you would know the area more than these guys from up north that were coming down and they aren't familiar with the area let's say that's the theory and he dropped uh jim right at that cherry and congress at this baptist church so he's real close to his hotel he's a mile less than a mile away what water would he have gone in if he's going directly back to his hotel well i mean let's see um yeah the, uh, lake lake mangonia or clear lake right there Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're, they're, you know, decent size, but they're not very deep. Uh, 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 the Atlantic Ocean is very, very close. To get to anything. If you really want to get rid of a body, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not that far uh, to get to the ocean from you know, the area that he was last seen. There was a fairly recent water search, and they did... I would say the north part of Clear Lake on the north side. I'm talking about the north side of, uh, what is it, Okeechobee, where he goes over the bridge. They did north side. I think they should have done the south side because if he's, let's say he's driving and he misses his turn to his hotel, which is right there on on, um, Okeechobee, it would be if he's in the right lane, more apt that he's going to go into the water on the right side, which would have been the south part of the lake. So they, they looked at Clear Lake and then up to Lake... What is it, Mangonia? Because like Mangonia, their right. yeah, their theory was well, maybe he instead of driving that one mile to his hotel, he drove to the club and then was going to sleep in the car. I don't think that's realistic because he would have needed clothes, no. you know. To he, he didn't you guys have to wear a certain you don't not a uniform, but he had to wear like golf slacks, right? And a, golf, and a golf, right, right. So that's correct. Um, no, he. I think something happened from the time right as soon as immediately he left Palm Beach Kettle Club because that's where we were. Okay, let's go. Let me go back. Um, <clears throat> let's start from there then. Before I ask you any specific questions, tell me what you recall from the. Did, did you guys meet up somewhere before the Kennel Club, or did you meet at the Kennel Club? At the Kennel Club, from yeah, from work. We were all at work, and uh, uh, again, from what I can remember, uh, was you know we. A lot of us used to play golf after work, and uh, we'd play little money matches. and And I can remember, you know, Mike and I would play a lot together. Uh, he he 
had just started working there and we got to be buddies right away. We're on the same shifts together. And uh, so if you're on the morning shift, you play golf in the afternoon after work, uh, you know, all single guys and uh, you'd get done. It'd be dark and it'd be like, Hey, what, you know, what are we doing? And uh, let's do this, let's do that. And so a few of us decided, Hey, let's go to the kennel club and, you know, meet up there. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's what was the plan was that particular night. Okay. And so is this a big kennel club? Would you have to say, let's meet in the parking lot or would you just find each other inside somehow? It's, it's a pretty big kennel club, but, um, no, I'm sure we just, you, you would meet inside. It wasn't that big. It was, if you, if you were in there, you could find everybody. So I would say we met inside. Couldn't couldn't particularly remember if that was the case exactly, but uh, I think the plan was just to meet inside. Okay. And do you recall who all was there that night? The group together? Uh, oh boy, that's that's tough. Um, <laughs> again, you know, I obviously myself and and Mike. Uh, possibly has the name Jim yep. come to you. Yep. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of what particularly happened at the Kennel Club. Um, more so was from the Kennel Club, uh, we decided we were going to go to a nightclub down the street called Bogarts. Bogarts, okay. And a few of us said okay yeah let's do that we'll meet there and so i left the kennel club in my own car by myself and drove down the street to bogarts which is on congress avenue it's it's, it's maybe a half a mile drive down congress to get to get to bogarts uh bogarts is uh again right congress and okeechobee so maybe a mile and i got there it was very crowded and uh i had had uh, quite a bit to drink uh, again you know, just um, mingled with the crowd at Bogarts uh, for a little bit, walked around, did, didn't see anybody from my gang at the Kennel Club. And after a while, I was like, well, I guess nobody decided to, to come to Bogarts, so I went home. Hmm. Now, because Dave kept mentioning Bogarts as the name of the bar, after I spoke with him, I did some research and asked him again the name of the bar that he recalled. And he again said Bogarts. And he then added, it's now a strip club called Monroe's. Same address. The name of the place has changed a few times over the years. So then I quickly popped over to Google and I learned that Monroe's, the name of the establishment now, is at 1000 Congress Avenue. And that is, in fact, the same address where Mr. G's lounge was located in 1979. So Dave was talking about the same bar that was mentioned in the police report, or rather one of them, because Wild Sides is also mentioned. Jim, the person who was with Mike last, told police that they went to Wildside's first, and then Mr. G's. But according to Dave, the plan when he left the track was for the guys to meet up at a bar known then as Mr. G's, and they never showed up. So what happened was after that, the next morning, I went to work, and when I got to work, that's, uh, you know, Mike was supposed to be on that shift with me, and uh, he didn't show up for work. And so that's obviously, you know, there was concern. And I guess, uh, you know, you figure just, you know, well, he's drunk, he slept in. And uh, so then it got to the point where, hey, let's go, you know, they, they tried to get a hold of him and couldn't get a hold of him. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, this kid's not around and we don't know where he is. Hmm. So let, let me ask you this before I go any further. Um, yeah. Mike 
did did you did it, do you know if he won? Did any did he win, win big? Let's say. It, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, it wasn't. We weren't betting big money at at at, at, at the dog track. Uh, you know, I certainly wasn't. I mean, you know, uh, no. In in talking to Scott, um, in years past about you know, the the actual night, the word was that um, Mike had a big wad of cash that he was showing, which I do not remember that. Okay. But apparently, I, again, what I remember was Mike was so new at his job that he was staying at, at a hotel and hadn't even found a place to rent for the winter yet. Right. Had you been to that hotel at all? No, I had not. All right. And what about in his car? Had you ever been in his car? Would you have known what I, was... I had not. Okay. That eliminates a whole bunch of questions. So here's the thing about... Um, Scott would have only known what other people told him because he wasn't there. And that's what Scott was saying and Richard was saying. And I think that's because that's what they were told. They weren't there. They're repeating what they were told. Um, so it's hard to know if he won or not because, you know what I mean? Uh, do you? Yeah. Let me ask you this. When they came, I, I assume police came and talked to you guys at, I think it was at the club, the, right? The, yeah, the police never talked to me personally. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Um, well, that's why I remember, I remember Mike's father coming to meet me and talking to me and ask me some questions because mm -hmm. I was one of those guys who was at the kennel club with him. Um, but again, you know, so, so Mike and I had gotten, I got separated from the other few, few guys, mm -hmm. uh, heading to Bogarts. So that, that's, you know, when I texted you back and said, yeah. I don't know how much help I'll be, um, you know, because I didn't. I, once Mike was leaving the kennel club, again, my own theory is that that's when whatever happened happened. But I wasn't with him then. That long ago, I don't remember a whole lot of what we did at the track itself. Um, I just remember that the this, this, this story was we you know, we all went and and we were betting and drinking, probably drinking more than we were betting. Mm. Yeah, because none of us had that kind of money to. To, to bet big money but right. uh you know but the only the, the, the thing that, that you know me personally that i remember was leaving the kennel club by myself hoping to expecting to meet up with him later and then after about maybe 30 45 minutes of, of walking around bogarts you know in a big crowd and, and realizing okay i need to get home uh i mean i just went home so that was just, hmm. just me personally was, you know, I just felt bad about the fact that I never hooked back up with him to, 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 you know, maybe, you know, maybe I could have hey, told him, Hey, you need to get home. You know, we got to go to work tomorrow, but yeah. that's just me. Did you all walk out together? How did you get? No, probably not. We probably just, again, cause we all had our own cars. So it was more like, Hey, let's, you know, let's just, let's go down to Bogarts and have, you know, have one more. And, uh, and they never I don't made remember. It there. I don't remember that we walked all out together. That I don't. Remember. My 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 best guess was that we didn't. We just kind of, you know, each guy kind of left, you know, whenever, uh, and they were gonna, one, one, yeah, kind of one after another type of thing. I don't, re I don't remember like walking out with a crowd. And you don't really remember from your own memory him flashing any money around. You just remember hearing that from other people. That is correct. Okay. And so that Saturday, the next day, you're at work. He doesn't show up. And did you, at that moment, um, 
Do you remember when you first heard that he went missing or you knew because he, he wasn't, didn't show up, but when did you hear that he was missing? I would say it was not for a day or two that somebody, you know, we, we all of a sudden heard that, okay, he's literally missing. I mean, uh, I think there was a thought that maybe he decided he didn't like his job and went home, you know, just, just, you know, took off and just didn't went, didn't just decided you know I'm out of here. Uh, that was the you know a thought from like you know when he didn't show up for work at all and nobody could get a hold of him uh, was like he must have just left town. He just didn't like what he decided to change his mind and want take didn't want the job and took off. So that was your initial gut feeling when you first heard it. That it there was nothing nefarious. You just thought, well, he... correct. Okay, okay, yeah. that makes sense yeah. then. That I, I didn't really think anything bad it happened to him until like the police started showing up and, and you know it's forget scott was the one saying you know it's like uh, we got this this poor kid is gone and no one knows where he is and and he you know he's missing and so that's when all of a sudden we were like oh no you don't remember who the police spoke to seeing them speak to anybody like i said to, to me it would have been scott uh brad scott brad jim would have been probably with the guys mm-hmm we, we had a big staff mm-hmm. at President Country. I'm sure you know talking to to to, to Rick and to Scott and, and 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 Brad. We had a huge staff, and it was really like a family. You know, it was everybody was really pretty close with each other because you worked together every day. And like I said, you know, everybody was for the most part single and all around the same age. You know, and, and all had the same kind of you know same lifestyle and and and. and personalities and so we you know even though you didn't know somebody you got we got pretty close and that's kind of how it was you know from, from what i remember was was mike and i because again we kept being on the same shifts and uh, so we got to be you know got to be buddies in a short period of time which is not uncommon do you know if you played golf with him that day because i heard that he had played I golf did. so I you did. two who else played golf do you remember that, that one uh, would it just be pairs remember. or would it be a group of you guys after it would have been four four, been four of us but uh, yeah and again you're walking off the last hole and it's getting to be dark and, and you're like hey let's let's do this tonight or let's you know let's let's go to dinner let's go get a pizza let's go get a beer and, and uh, there was a little pizza place right down the corner from the club that we used to we used to go there just all the time and just you know that's where we'd start would be go get go get a pizza and, and have a few beers and then from there it'd be like all right what are we doing now you know so that's kind of how that night started was yeah let's go down to the kettle club okay sounds good The following narrative is from the West Palm Beach Police Department report that was dated December 4th, 1979, which for context was three days after Mike went missing in the wee hours of the first. Mike Olson dropped Jim off at Cherry Road in Congress at 5 a.m. on December 1st, 1979 and was heading for his motel at 1901 Okeechobee Boulevard not seen since. Olson's brother contacted by Jensen. Olson failed to contact brother on December 2nd by phone. In speaking with reporting party and Jim, the story thus far is, missing person Olson received a $700 check from home this past week. On Friday night, he went to the dog track with Jim and may have lost about $50. From the dog track, they went to the Wildside Bar, 
and then to Mr. G's until Mr. G's was closing, at which time Olson dropped Jim off at Cherry Road and Congress Avenue, where Jim picked up his vehicle and went home. Olson had stated to Jim that he may be a little late to work Saturday morning. He was due at work at 7 a.m., but failed to arrive. It does not appear that he returned to his room at Howard Johnson's on Okeechobee Road, as his bags and clothing are still in the room. He was supposed to call his brother on December 2nd in Minnesota, but failed to do so. Ryder checked with County Jail this morning. Mr. Jensen states that Olson's mother telephoned the golf shop this morning and they had not heard anything from Olson yet. On the last night that Jim and Olson were together, Olson made a statement that he had a 1,200 mile drive ahead of him, but it's unknown to what he referred. In the next episode, we will look at the incident report, which is all that has been made publicly available, and also what we learned from Mike's father's notes, as well as a private investigator. Stay tuned.